You are now listening to the Retro Spectacle Podcast, Episode 6, The History, Passion, and Pursuit of Bacon. I'm not sure if I like it or not, I'll be honest. I play it because I like it. <laughs> right on. Well, welcome to the show. Uh, my name's Dave and Jason's sitting across from me here. We start off every show with uh, what we're drinking. I hope you guys have a cocktail or a beer in front of you. And uh, we'll play a little game. Anytime someone says, pigs, you got to drink five. That's how it's got to work. All right. I'm drinking uh, an, do that. an Anchor IPA, uh, fantastic beer, and uh, I've had it many times, but I still find myself wanting a little bit more. Yeah, I uh, picked up this beer because I know that Anchor is kind of like an older uh, you know, brewery, and I'm not a huge fan of the Anchor Steam, but <clears throat> I have never had their IPA, and you know, we always drink IPAs, so why the hell not? Why the hell not? We actually were trying to find a couple of, uh, of bacon-related beers, but there weren't any really good ones, so we'll keep you guys uh, posted if we do find some and post them up on Drink 5 as a review. Uh, again, today's show is all about bacon, so we're going to go through the history of it, and we also have uh, an interview with a uh, special guest to Seth Zurer of Bacon Fest Chicago. We're very excited about that. That's something that comes up every year here, at least for the past, uh, what, four or five years now? At least five, I think. Five or six years, maybe. Yeah. Uh, which is a huge event in Chicago. This year taking place at UIC Forum. And it's basically just a bacon symposium for unlimited amounts of bacon-related appetizers. Uh, shout out to uh, Bacon Nation and the Bacon subreddit. Uh, I see we have someone in the chat room from there. And uh, uh, that's, that's definitely uh, a subreddit that I'm subscribed to. <laughs> yes, me too. So, uh, so let's get it started. There are several defining factors of humanity. Okay. Things that can be shared regardless of race, uh, geographical location, political affiliation, or even language itself. Um, and okay, I might be a little bit lofty here, right? But let's be serious. This show is about bacon, its history, and people's passion for it in a variety. I think what you're trying to say is that bacon can bring about world peace. Yeah, I mean, why don't, we might as well just not do the show. It's world right. peace. Let's just start big. Equals bacon. Bacon equals world peace. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's, it's something that breaks down the walls between people, regardless of their backgrounds, food, right? And, uh, there's some other things that could fit that bill as well, but we'll leave them for another show. So we'll start with a trip back to the beginning and explore how it's prepared in regions around the world and, and look into some ways we celebrate it today and, uh, share some of our own favorite bacon related recipes. Sound good? Oh, it sounds delicious. Okay. Well, I'll start off, uh, talking about pigs. So I got to drink five, dip out for a little drink here. Mm. So pigs weren't always the domesticated and farm-raised animals that we, we know today. Uh, modern pigs all came from a bunch of different populations of wild pigs uh, in Europe and Asia. And people hunted wild boar and their meat became really sought after, but obviously dangerous because of the teeth and tusks. And around the same time in Central Asia and Europe, people began to tame pigs and use salt to cure the meat. Uh, including pork belly, which is sort of what bacon is in its very uh, 
rarest form. Yeah. Uh, so that it could last longer, and then it could arguably be referred to as the foundation for what we call bacon today. So the people that really first started creating bacon were the Romans. They made this thing, and I don't know how to pronounce this, but it was called pitasso, um, which was made by boiling the pork with figs and then searing it in a fire and seasoning it with a pepper sauce. That sounds delicious. Yeah. It sounds it, like it's from Game of Thrones. It absolutely could be from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I mean, there's still a bunch of pig and fig dishes out there that I've had at restaurants and gastropubs. And even at uh, Bacon Fest, I think a couple of years ago, there was one like that. So you can see that although we have changed a lot as a people, for example, uh, you know, our tastes in bacon and, and what we should eat it with hasn't changed all that much, to be honest with you. Hey, why mess with a good thing? Exactly. So going to the Middle Ages, uh, a bunch of food historians think that farmers raising pigs in, in this period of time may have uh, started to notice that some pigs were meatier on the side and some pigs were meatier in the belly. And so they started actually breeding these pigs for exactly what kind of meat that they were looking for. Um, and there's been accounts of a cut of pork belly and pork loin that was cured and eaten uh, by the people at that time. So that's more like back bacon, uh, which is sort of a leaner cut, and it's not Canadian smoked. Canadian bacon. Uh, Canadian bacon. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, popular in the UK and uh, in Ireland and some other places right. like that. And you can get it here too, but in, 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 I should say we're in the United States, in the Chicago area specifically. So you don't usually find that in this area uh, unless you're going to a, a specialty store or a butcher. Uh, of course, they have it available, but it's not usually what we're buying. Um, That's not what I buy. Well, yeah. (laughs) So uh, a couple hundred years afterwards, so peasants in Europe start to smoke the bacon, um, sort of following the same kinds of preparations that we do today. And what you do is you would take some good quality cured pork belly. (coughs) Excuse me. And it has to be dried completely out so that this pellicle, which is a coating of proteins, forms over the meat. And that's so the meat will absorb the smoke better and it won't get dry on the inside. Is that similar similar to dry aging a steak? Uh, yeah. You leave it out so that it forms that nice crust and then you kind of get rid of the crust, but the meat inside of it is better for it. Yeah, that's, it's very similar to that. So, so what you want it to do is develop, you can actually see it when you're doing this, uh, this kind of like glistening sort of uh, sheath over the actual bacon. Uh-huh. And then when you're smoking it, um, generally for a long period of time at a low temperature, although there's lots of different ways to do it. Um, that way, it doesn't actually uh, dry out and overcook the inside. It's only really adding and parting the flavor to the outside of, of the meat. Okay. And, and the inside too, but it's not cooking it overly. Right, it doesn't totally penetrate it. Right, exactly. Um, so, the interesting thing is back in the 17th and 18th centuries, uh, in England, almost everybody owned pigs, and they had their own secret recipes for bacon. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, a lot of people actually kept pigs in their basements. So they would they would get pigs from farmers, or they would get pigs from somewhere else. They would have their own family recipe, so they would have their pig and, and call it whatever they wanted. Um, what's your favorite pig name? I think Wilbur works pretty well. Oh, i got to take a couple drinks here. All right. Pig, pig, pig. Mm-hmm. So Wilbur, they've got Wilbur in their basement, and... Uh, <laughs> I suppose, you know, the kids might, might have been fond of Wilbur or whatever. And it, there's something to be said about the Vietnamese pot-bellied variety, for example. My neighbor had a pot-bellied pig for a couple of years. I used Did, to hang out there all the time, and there was a pot-bellied pig running, running around. I assume you didn't uh, smoke it and eat it? 
Uh, no, I mean, you know, <laughs> it's probably illegal. Uh, at the days. time, we didn't. We were little kids, so we didn't think of that about how delicious that really would have been. <laughs> so, uh, so people would make their own recipes, and uh, obviously, more of the bacon came from farms and and butchers uh, from the farmers. But there's all these great articles out there on the web about how in this period of time. In the 17th and 18th century, specifically in England and surrounding areas in Europe, there was like this explosion of, of bacon. Let's call it like the golden, um, golden browned and delicious age. All right. The GBD age. Perfect. Where they had all sorts of different kinds of uh, sausages and bacons and hams uh, because it was pretty much the most popular thing uh, that there was to be cooking because pig was cheap. Right. And the belly, I'm sure, wasn't... The most prized piece of no. the meat at all. They want the chops. They want the loin. You know the ribs. Well, right. maybe not the ribs, but exactly. So not very sought after. Easier to cook, more tender meat. Looked at as peasant food, which is interesting because you've got uh, you've got bacon, which is kind of like that, and then some other things that nowadays we we think are just amazing uh, foods that that cost a whole bunch in in places to buy, like lobster. Just like lobster, yeah. And both of those things were. Uh, were foods that didn't cost almost anything, and they were just sort of given away because they were looked at as as dirty foods or bad foods or poor foods. Right. And it's great that we have this uh, kind of uh, um, upside down, um, you know, turning the tables on that now. Because I can't imagine uh, there being a time when, for example, when lobster is looked at like a spam. <laughs> that just doesn't seem right to me. It doesn't seem right. Well, I mean... Because lobster is like if lobster, it's not right. if lobster wasn't so popular, you don't be able to get it on the coast. They wouldn't be flying it into Chicago every day in like by the plane load. Yeah, true for for like thirty dollars a tail. Yeah, but you know something that's always been uh, at the top of the game is steak. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so toward the end of the 18th century, it was around 1770 or so. There was a uh, bake entrepreneur, which is a, a great word. Uh, that I actually learned from Seth, I think, who's from Bacon Fest. We'll get to that interview a little bit later. Um, but he was named John Harris, and he pioneered a new way of curing pork bellies in a brine that proved to be both quicker and more cost-effective. Now, the thing that it did was because it was really fast, it would it would do the exact same thing as far as taste was concerned, but they could control like the salt. Mm-hmm. So it'd be lower salt. Is actually better for you, but it wouldn't last as long because they didn't do it for uh, as long of a time. So, how long would the other stuff last? Uh, well, that's the stuff, older methods. That stuff could literally be uh, cured and, and be stored for for months. And wow. and this kind of stuff uh, that's that's put in a brine like this to be mass produced in the way that you could mass produce something in the 1700s, at least uh, only really lasted like a week or two. So. Uh, then you had problems with it spoiling, etc. But okay. it got to be so cheap that then everybody could have bacon. Right. Um, and uh, it's more than likely that the craft dry-cured bacon that was previously being made by the people was much tastier and a higher quality product. But we have the same kind of thing nowadays. I mean, you get stuff uh, from the store that costs three ninety nine per pound. It's not going to be as it's good of a from quality. The factory. Yeah, and, and it's going to be uh, like really quick cured or something, so it doesn't stay as good. Like we had a discussion uh, the other day about bacon. Um, some kinds of bacon, for example, you could just take out of the package and eat them without right. without any sort of uh, problems or ailments occurring. Right, they're uh, prepared in a way before it gets to you that they're safe to eat. 
True, but... But they're not as delicious as they could be. But some of the cheaper stuff that you get from the store, you're really not supposed to do that. Because there's still bacteria, etc. that can settle on them before they come. Oh, definitely, yeah. But if you were to go to... And there's a lot of these, like, uh, dry brined, like... Um, uh, like, gourmet cured, gourmet little bacon places that have popped up. And, uh, nice. And so you can take bacon from there, and you can actually have it for a long time, not even refrigerated, and it's it's still okay. Okay. We need to go to one of these uh, boutique bacon bacon areas. Absolutely, we do. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about, real quickly, uh, what, what different kinds of bacon that there are out there. So from the United States, we're mostly familiar with side bacon. It's also called streaky bacon, which comes directly from the pork belly. So it's the really fatty bacon with the long layers of fat that run along it. And honestly, I mean, there's only probably about 9% protein on that piece of bacon. Yeah. Uh, the rest of it is all just just fat. But we know that fat is flavor, and that's probably one of the reasons why in the United States, for example, we like to crisp up the bacon, whereas a lot of other places in the world tend to pre-cook it or not cook it as long as we do. Um, now, that's also because they're different cuts. You'd serve it more tender. Yeah, but... But we tend to really, uh, I mean, I want to almost say overcook. I mean, I go to breakfast places sometimes and you'll get like burnt bacon on your plate. Right. Uh, a lot of people like burnt bacon. I know. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I like a little bit of burnt bacon. <laughs> like the ends. Well, burnt good. burnt ends burnt are pretty ends. good. Yeah. Yeah. Bacon or, or any other sort of meat. <laughs> Anything else you can burn on the end. Um, pancetta is Italian streaky bacon. Smoked or unsmoked with a strong flavor. Oh, pancetta is delicious. So it's very similar to what we do, except it's sort of... Uh, it's a lot of times unsmoked, and it'll also be cut thicker. So you've got like the cubes of it and things that you make and put into different dishes. Uh, middle bacon is from the side of the animal, and it's uh, it's average in cost and fat content and flavor. Uh, and sometimes you can actually see middle bacon being sold in stores and butcher shops around here. Um, and then there's back bacon, uh, and we call it Canadian bacon. We went over it a little earlier. That's what they have in the UK and Ireland for the most part which comes from the loin in the middle of the back of the pig. And it's a really lean, meaty cut of bacon, uh, and it has less fat compared to the other cuts. But the thing is, here, a lot of people don't necessarily like it because when you say bacon, you're associating that with that crispy, thin, um, or you know, slightly thick texture, but not a ham-like texture like right. Canadian bacon is. Right, or, um, a pan or a prosciutto. Yeah, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Cottage bacon is thinly sliced lean pork meat from a shoulder cut. Um, so that is cured and then sliced into round pieces. And you'll find cottage bacon all over the place as well. Um, and, and that is actually a really, really nice uh, kind of bacon to, to use for a number of different dishes that a lot of people are not familiar with. So I would encourage you to go out and look uh, for that cut if you can find it. It's not generally one that's very sought after, which means it's not going to be one that's that expensive. Um, there's jowl bacon, which is cured in smoked cheeks of pork, pork cheeks. Ooh. And, uh, you know, a lot of foodies will tell you that they think that the cheeks of any animal are the most delicious. Yeah, that, I hear that a lot. Anthony Bourdain loves the cheeks. Yeah, the, the cheeks of fish, uh, the cheeks of, uh, of like fowl, of birds, of course, uh, bacon and, and, uh, and other bigger animals. So that's something we should try. I don't know that I'm, I probably had it in a dish, but I don't know that we've ever actually uh, procured and used that cut of bacon for ourselves. Well, we'll have to find it. Indeed. Um, we'll go to the bacon area. And uh, 
we've got uh, someone in the chat just said jowl bacon makes kelp edible, which uh, <laughs> jowl bacon and kelp. That sounds like quite an interesting dish right there. <laughs> uh, slab bacon is side bacon that is not sliced. So it is basically the same thing, but it, it usually comes with the rind still intact on it. Um, and it's made from the belly and side cuts. So uh, that's something that you can buy for pretty cheap in like bulk and big pieces that you can do whatever you want with yourself. Slice it yourself or serve yeah. it whole. So let's say you would go to a butcher shop and get a bunch of slab bacon. Uh, and then you could yourself slice it to whatever thickness you want um, or use in other purposes. Um, and uh, do you think that... Uh, well, obviously, you use the side bacon more than all the other ones here. Yeah, almost exclusively. So, if you could choose from from these other ones that we've mentioned, and not including the slab bacon, what other uh, pieces of bacon do you think that you would like to use in your cooking? Let's say for a dish you make next week. Well, I think the next like fancy thing I'm going to go looking for is the jowl bacon, for sure. I want to give that a try. I think serving that up nice and crispy is going to be really good. That sounds um, really good. But aside from that, I don't know, uh, the cottage bacon might be good. But uh, see, I always think of the shoulder on a pig as something that needs to be cooked for a long time, right? So I, I w- I'm not sure that like using it like bacon would be right. I would probably have to learn different ways of preparing it, which is fine with me. Yep. All right, we have a special bacon-related guest on the show tonight in Seth Zur. He's the co-founder of Bacon Fest Chicago, which has been around since 2009 and grown steadily from humble beginnings, being hosted at a Chicago restaurant called The Publican, all the way to selling out multiple bookings at the UIC Forum. So, Seth, first of all, I'd like to welcome you to the Retro Spectacle podcast and more specifically to this episode devoted to the history and the passion and pursuit of bacon, which is a delicious, <laughs> delicious topic. Wouldn't you agree? I totally agree. Thanks for having me. No problem. So I imagine that bacon finds its way into your diet on a regular basis. And I just recently made, for example, uh, barbecue chicken flatbread pizza with a whole bunch of crumbled bacon on top. And I'm just wondering, what's the last thing that you ate and which bacon played a big role? I tend to use bacon as a kind of foundation ingredient for uh, pasta sauce. Sure. So like I do a modified Amatriciana tomato sauce with pepper flakes and you, know, you lay down battuto with, with diced bacon and mm. then you add onions and garlic and pepper flakes and tomatoes um, and then uh, toss that with pasta. So that tends to be how I consume bacon at dinner time most of the time. But uh, the big the big story with bacon, of course, is that bacon sets itself. And you can try it 170 different ways from 170 different creative Chicago chefs. Absolutely. And that sounds delicious. Um, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about the history of bacon itself, which goes as far back as ancient China, really starts to develop an identity in Roman culture. What's your personal bacon history? And by that, I mean, what are your earliest <laughs> memories of bacon? And then also, how did Bacon Fest Chicago uh, really get started? So um, personally, I can tell you that uh, bacon for me was a treat we had outside of the house mostly when I was a kid. I actually, uh, may, it may seem ironic, potentially sacrilegious, but I uh, <laughs> I grew up, I'm Jewish, so okay. I, I, I'm the Jewish co-founder of Bacon Fest Chicago. <laughs> um, and so we didn't have much bacon in the house when I was a kid. We weren't, we didn't keep a kosher house, but we didn't, uh, we didn't flaunt our love of trace. Okay, sure. Um but we uh, we had 
we had pork out of the house, and I remember going out for breakfast at like the Roy Rogers breakfast bar and getting leather strip leather and strips of overcooked bacon there, <laughs> just being able to go back over and over again, and 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 having that kind of connection of um, untrammeled pleasure with specifically connected with bacon before even when I was a little kid, six or seven years old. So it was kind of and a, a treat of, for you guys. What's that? So it was kind of a treat for you guys. I get it. Yeah, exactly. It was always a treat even when I was a little kid. And and there was definitely a, a frisson, a transgressive thrill of the fact that it was a real special occasion thing. Mm-hmm. Pork in general as well. We used to go on road trips to like barbecue places were our most frequent destination for for pork ribs and stuff like that. So I was always I was always excited by pork. What can I tell you? Gotcha. And that then when we started Bacon Fest in two thousand nine, the origin of Bacon Fest is actually in the theater, we, me and my two partners are all theater guys. I'm an actor. My two partners are theatrical sound designers. And so my, the two other guys went to see a rock and roll puppet musical here in Chicago that was called Beer, the <laughs> new futurists put on. It's all about how craft beer is delicious. And uh, they went home from that musical and were so inspired by the passion for beer that they saw on display that they thought to themselves, gee, you know, what... What do we feel that kind of passion for? And after a couple of moments of scratching their heads, the obvious answer surfaced. Eureka. Bacon. <laughs> bacon. They love bacon. Well, geez, we should write a musical about bacon. And so they started writing songs about bacon because they're both composers and songwriters. And after about a minute and a half, I think they exhausted all of the songwriting possibilities connected <laughs> to the bacon-making process and decided, well, what if it was a big party instead? What if it was the burning man of bacon? What if it was the case of Chicago, but everything was bacon? What if it was like an annual hoedown where the most creative chefs in the city got together and came up with ingenious ways of remixing bacon into new and delicious dishes? And so that's what we ended up with that first year. Like you mentioned, we were in the publican dining room. We kind of wedged ourselves in between lunch and dinner service. And we had 10 chefs. Each one made a special dish. We had 10 different beers paired with those with those dishes mm-hmm. and about 75 guests. And since then, we've grown every year. And this last year, with our this, this year coming up in April on the 17th and 18th, will be our seventh event. We're expecting 170 restaurants, something like 4,500 ticketed guests. Our bacon sponsor, Newski's Applewood Smoked Meats, uh, sends a bacon allowance to the chefs. So if they want, they can have up to 50 pounds of Newski's bacon to use in their dishes, and according to our latest calculations, there's going to be something like 8,000 pounds of Newski's bacon, so four tons of Newski's bacon there, which if you sliced up and laid end-to-end, uh-huh. would be approximately 25 and a half miles of bacon, so nearly a marathon of bacon. So that's what we're looking at over the course of three sessions, and it's uh, been very gratifying to see bacon pets grow and to see that Chicago's appetite for bacon remains unsatisfied. We can still see that there's more room for us to grow bacon pets further. Cool. Yeah, that's that's super impressive, and uh, and thank goodness for you and your friends and and your epiphany. <laughs> Um, my, my co-host Jason and I have attended Bacon Fest for the past couple of years, and it really does seem to get better each time more and better restaurants, breweries, distilleries, merchants are, are going there every year. And it's also one of the more orderly festivals that I attend on a yearly basis. I mean, I think 
you've, you've done a good job, honestly, of, of mitigating some of the chaos that comes along with organizing such a big group of people. Uh, is there is there any kind of behind the scenes stuff that that goes on in order to pull this this whole thing off? I mean, there's a ton of behind the scenes stuff. We spend basically. My, my partner likes to say that we're full time bacon test organizers for six months of the year. So we spend about six months just planning the event for basically, you know, starting in November of 2014 for our 2015 event, we started emailing restaurants and trying to get them not signed up. And just the logistics of managing information coming in from 170 different restaurants from 25 different sponsors is a, a sort of behind the scenes logistical nightmare. And then there's, like you mentioned, that there's a lot of potential for chaos there yeah. with a lot of, because if, with three different sessions, we have 50 to 57 different restaurants at each session. We're clearing them out between sessions and bringing in a completely new band of restaurants, right. new chefs and new dishes. So uh, I appreciate that you uh, that it feels organized. It feels sometimes a little bit seat of the pants to us, but uh, <laughs> uh, it's definitely a challenge to make sure that everything ends up in the right spot at the right time. And we, we work hard to, uh, to try to keep chaos at bay. Cool. Well, we appreciate it. You know, you go to some beer fest and some other food fest, and, and sometimes there's just a lot of chaos. So I haven't been to all of the sessions, obviously, but you are doing a good job. And I, I think it's important for our listeners to understand how great some of these dishes really are. We do have a lot of local listeners in Chicago that I'd like to encourage to go ahead and purchase tickets. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But uh, stuff that's really complex, like uh, braised compressed bacon belly with whole grain mustard glaze and crispy chicken skin, Maker's Mark Fig Newton, which came from Atwood Cafe in 2013, uh, to more comforting mm-hmm. stuff like uh, bacon float, which had bacon soda, bacon syrup, bacon ice cream, candied bacon by Lily's Q, which actually won a Golden Rasher Award in 2014, which is something you guys give out to the best of each service. Um, do, you, do you have any personal favorites, or have you heard any whispers about what could be coming out this year? Yeah, we got some whispers. We're still uh, keeping the 2015 menu close to the vest, but you know, there's every year there's something new and fun and different, and that's one of the nice things about being the Bacon Fest Impresario is that every year you get to try something completely new that you would never have imagined before. Right. Um, something that sticks out to me, there's a, a chef named Matt Troost from Three Aces. They just opened up Charlatan, too, which is on uh, West, from West Chicago, mm-hmm. um, right by Noble Square. And he does different stuff every year. He usually does a drink pairing with his dish, too. He's, he's, he's the only chef so far that's won back-to-back Golden Rashers for the most creative use of bacon. I did, he did one year, the first Golden Rasher was for a dish called the Shake and Bake Bacon Steak, which was a bacon steak with a Shake and Bake Bacon Steak with a bacon shake on the side, Okay, which was like a country-fied bacon steak in a bacon ragu sauce with a bacon shake on the side. And then the next year, which he won again for, was a bacon scrapple with a bacon sriracha, homemade bacon sriracha sauce and a bacon orange Julius cocktail on the side. Was that the, so like, you know, was that the orange Malort Julius one? <laughs> yes, exactly. The orange Malort. Thank you for correcting it. Yes, the orange Malort Julius. So here's a guy who is basically taking bacon, transforming it in 14 different ways, adding classic Chicago flavors like Malort, adding sort of classic flavors of the moment like sriracha sauce, and and doing it all with his own kind of homemade handcrafted spin and i just love the guy he's a nice guy he's a great chef and the restaurants are great to really check him out and he, every year he brings the big game to bacon fest and comes up with something completely new and completely unfamiliar so great yeah we'll we'll look forward to seeing what he has to bring and, and sounds like he's kind of a hall of fame candidate as far as uh, bacon fest chicago is concerned <laughs> 
sure, for sure. In my personal pantheon of bacon fest chefs, Matt Troost features prominently. So uh, as of now, it, it looks like the Saturday lunch service, uh, which we're going to, and the Saturday dinner service are sold out, at least at the moment, on Eventbrite, which is what you're using to sell the tickets. And uh, Saturday, right. Saturday dinner VIP are still available, as well as regular and VIP tickets for Friday dinner. Uh, tickets are $100 for the regular service, which includes three hours of eating and seven drink tickets. And I got to tell you, uh, just from personal experience, that that is as plenty. You're not going to be leaving there with want for something more. So uh, could you mm-hmm. could you tell us a little bit about what comes with the VIP tickets, which are $200 plus fees? Sure. So the VIP ticket comes with basically an extra hour. So you get in an hour early. And we only sell about 175 of those tickets. So if you've been only in the general admission session, you know that even though, as you say, there's, it's relatively organized at the moment when the general admission session starts, there's about 1,400 people in that room, <laughs> each one sort of laser-focused on getting to the bacon dish they want to try the most. Very so during true. that VIP hour, there are you know, 170 other people in that room, each one sauntering casually over to the chef of their choice and saying, hey, and talking, and oh, I'll try a bite, true, why not? So it's a very much more relaxed experience. It does cost more, it costs twice as much, but I would say as an experience, it's more than twice as good just because it's very chill and relaxed and there's no lines and no weights or anything and you can really connect with those chefs. And I should say that in all of those ticket prices, like you mentioned, the food is included, it's substantially unlimited food, the drinks are included, which are limited to seven, but that's basically unlimited too. Mm-hmm. If you're drinking more than seven drinks, that's... I think it's sort of personal choice you should re-examine. <laughs> and then it also includes a donation that we make to the Greater Chicago Food Depository out of the proceeds. So last year, we donated $75,000 out of the event proceeds to the, to the food bank, which they use to distribute food to hungry people in the area. And over the years that we've been supporting them, we've given more than $200,000. And we've done food drives, and we've done raffles at the event, and we've done sponsor matches, and that's added up to more than 650,000 meals for hungry people in Chicago. So that's a, a big reason that we do what we do, a big reason that we love doing the event and a big sort of driver for why the tickets cost what they do because we want to make sure that we can make a big substantial impact on the GCFD's operations every year. Yeah, so closing in on a million meals for those who otherwise may have gone hungry. Uh, we're big believers in doing things for the right reasons here at Drink 5, so we would like to congratulate you guys for making a difference and wish you luck going forward. Do you have plans for expansion or additional charity work or anything else like that that you could talk about in the years to come? Yeah, I mean, on the on the 28th of March, we're, this year for the first time, we're doing a Bacon Fest charity uh, volunteer service day. Uh, at the food bank so people can sign up for that and join us for a repack session i'm actually going to give away a pair of vip tickets at that session to one lucky volunteer Um, and that's a a chance to give your time energy and labor to the food bank to help them with their mission of feeding hungry folks Uh, in terms of expansion for the event itself in the future maybe we'll see what happens we always are looking for different opportunities whether it be other events during the year that would maybe draw on the same set of restaurant relationships that we have or ways to expand bacon fest. We considered doing a fourth session this year, but decided that we were not sure we'd have the demand for it. Okay. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. People want to check out the website at baconfestchicago.com. We'll certainly let folks know there about any expansion that, that comes about. Okay, and, and just starting to wrap up, but I wanted to touch on this. So this show and the Drink 5 Network in general also has a passion for craft beers and cocktails, which are included in, in Bacon Fest Chicago, and there are a, a number of, of good uh, 
uh, breweries and distilleries that participate. So there are some great mm-hmm. sort of bacon-inspired craft beers out there, like Rogue's Voodoo Donut Maple Bacon Ale or New Holland's <laughs> Charcuterie. Have you tried either of those, or do you have any suggestions for good pairings with bacon dishes? And then uh, in addition to like the usual uh, Goose Island and, and Lagunitas and Revolution, are there any newcomers to, uh, to the uh, Bacon Fest this year? Yeah, well, thank you for mentioning our, our longtime beer sponsors, Lagunitas, Goose Island, and, and Revolution. We're excited to have them back. Mm-hmm. Um, new this year, uh, we have Lakefront coming down from Milwaukee. Sure. They're a fun, uh, great Milwaukee brewery, and they're one of the bigger craft breweries out there now, I think, and they, they do some great stuff that goes with bacon. Um, in terms of cocktails, uh, we, we have Koval coming back this year again to do a, a special cocktail. We've got uh, Wurtz. Beverage Illinois coming back, and they basically last year for the first time did a mega bar where they had I think five different cocktails with five different spirit brands wow. that all either featured bacon or paired beautifully with bacon. So this year I know they're doing something with Old Forester, they're doing something with Templeton Rye, they're doing something with uh, Death Door Gin, and I know we've got Danny Shapiro coming back for the Friday night session from Scofflaw to do a cocktail with. Uh, a death door product. I think he's not doing it with the gym, but with a different product. So we're going to have a lot of booze options, a lot of beer options. And of course, we we'll have the Wobble Stopper, which is the official Bloody Mary of Bacon Fest from mm-hmm. the guys at the 5050. And we will have uh, some Santa Mae Prosecco, the official bubbles of Bacon Fest, which is, we like actually Prosecco with, with bacon. I think that's a good, nice, uh, clean flavor that cuts through the, the fatty, fatty heaviness of bacon. So, Absolutely. Uh, well, that's about all the time we have this evening. There was a question from a local listener to a bacon professional such as yourself. He wanted to know if, if pigs could fly, where would they go? Any answers there? I mean, it seems obvious if they had tickets to Bacon Fest, they would fly right to the UIC Forum on April 17th and 18th to check out Bacon Fest Chicago. Either that or they would fly the opposite direction out of terror. I don't know. I mean, it's 50-50. That makes sense to me. So they're probably flipping a coin or something. So uh, anyway, I think that's all the time we have for this evening. But thanks for coming on the air with us. We're much uh, looking forward to Bacon Fest, which is coming up in just a few short weeks. And I would like to encourage our listeners to check out the website at BaconFestChicago.com. It has a ton of information about the event, along with some mouthwatering pictures and descriptions. Uh, and then, of course, you can follow uh, you guys at, uh, is it BaconFest, C-H-I, is that the handle on Twitter? That's right. Bacon Fest Shy on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Bacon Fest, and Bacon Fest on Instagram. Okay, so thanks, Seth. We'll see you out there, and uh, appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Thank you. You know what we should have done for this show, Dave? We should have made some bacon for the show. You know, no, nobody can see what you're uh, actually doing, so you could just pretend to be eating bacon right now. See, you didn't let that fly years ago. <laughs> when I tried to fake pay you for bets, you would always call me out. I figured you demanded your utter realism in your craft. Yeah. Generally. Yeah, I mean, he's drinking real beer every night, ladies and gentlemen. He's never faked that one. It's not apple juice. <laughs> so uh, we've moved on to a new uh, a new beverage. Would you care to uh, tell the world what that is? Uh, I will be pouring this in a moment. It is the General Resin Imperial India Pale Ale uh, by Scorched Earth Brewing Company in nearby Algonquin, Illinois. 
All right. Uh, have you tried it yet, Dave? I have. It is absolutely delicious. And I'm Great. not really sure what the name means, but uh, I know someone someone more schooled than me in, in beer would be able to tell me probably. General resin. Well, resin is a thing that's on hops. Okay. Uh, hops. There's like re- there's other beers with resin in the name, or just called resin in general. Um, but I don't know who General Resin is. Probably just a guy. <laughs> maybe maybe it's a the leader of the Hopcone army. Could be. Well, uh, again, we'd like to thank Seth for uh, providing his time uh, for this show. And, and we do recommend that anybody who's able to go out and, and go to Bacon Fest, please do. It is fantastic. It is worth every penny. And it's something that now we've been doing on a yearly basis because of just how much fun it is. I have said it to many people. It is the best $100 that I spend every year. <laughs> not to like say that it's really expensive. It's not cheap, um, but some of that money goes to charity, which is a good thing, and the rest of it goes in my belly, which is very enjoyable. Both good things. Yes. Um, so there's a little bit more to the show, uh, but why don't you tell uh, the good people about some of the places that they can uh, follow us on? All right, well, you guys can check us out on Stitcher, uh, on Mixler.com slash Drink5. Go to our website, Drink5.com. We have all kinds of stuff up there. We do television reviews. Uh, right now we're doing Better Call Saul. Uh, we have all kinds of articles. There's some WWF stuff right now. And, of course, fantasy football during the regular season. And I'll have to drink for that because that's one of our standing rules <laughs> if we mention fantasy football during a retro spectacle. True. Um, it- you can follow us. At Drink5 on Twitter, you can go facebook.com slash drink5network, um, and uh, I'm going to fail the rest of them. So let us know the rest of them that they can check out. No, I don't have to. But uh, <laughs> There's plenty there. But yeah, do us a favor if you're interested, and, and subscribe on uh, iTunes, and uh, throw a review or a rating up there, because that, that just helps us out. Uh, and so, um, again, we, we appreciate it to Seth and everybody listening. Uh, let's move on to uh, a little bit of bacon abroad. So... We talked about uh, the different kinds of bacon that there are in very rough form. Uh, of course, we all know kind of how bacon is presented here in America. That being, well, I should say, specify United States. Um, that being I think mostly, America, United States is implied. Well, you know, North America, South America, all the Americas. <laughs> we didn't say the Americas. Central America. <laughs> that's a different show, right? That's, that's where you teach me about geography because I barely know how to get to Indiana. I'm going to play you the uh, country song from the Animaniacs, and that'll be it. That's the, that's the lesson. Well, no, a, we, that would be a good show, and a, I will play that song during that show. It's a, yeah, that was a great show when it was on. Um, so let's talk about Germany. Uh, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, uh, bacon is referred to as speck. And speck there is a cured, heavily smoked, air-dried pig belly or side that's eaten and fried or used in cooking. Um, and then they have, I don't know how to pronounce this, but uh, a bushbeck, probably pretty close actually, is air-cured birch-smoked pig belly, which is popular in southern Switzerland and southwestern Austria. Uh, I would try either of those. What do you think? Um, I want to try some speck for sure. Speck. Yes. I'm sure that the Germans know how to do some pork. Oh, yeah. The Germans uh, are very familiar with pork. <laughs> I don't mean anything good or bad by that, I guess. It's good. I mean, come on. It's uh, uh, like beer fest. Not beer fest. Oktoberfest. Yeah. Uh, Italy. We talked about pancetta a little bit, which is uh, kind of similar to the way we do it in the U.S. Um, they've got uh, a one chalet, which is dry cured and smoked pig jowl and cheek. 
popular in southern Italian dishes. So they'll just uh, make up something and then put a little bit of that uh, on top or in it, which is kind of what you were talking about earlier, maybe making something uh, and then putting some of that like crispy pig cheek on top of it as sort of like a, a, a topper, um, extra bit of flavor, which yeah. sounds really super gourmet. Like, I mean, hopefully you got bigger pieces so you don't have to replace them with tweezers or something. Like, mm-hmm. this is your micro spec of pig jowl. <laughs> I mean, I've been to restaurants that are like that where they literally, and I'm not saying it's you a bad a fleck thing. of food. Well, well like, like truffles are incredibly expensive, stuff like that. Right. Like you could spend $500 on a truffle you can carry around in your hand mm-hmm. and shave off into people's pasta dishes. Right. But truffle is pretty fantastic. Uh, I've, I've had, I've had a little bit of, uh, black truffle and, and white truffle, uh, and I don't know anything more about the subject except that it's expensive and tasty. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, lardo is a dense white, delicate fat from pig rump cured for a long time, uh, several months with salt and spices and herbs, and it's served raw paper thin, um, on toasted bread. So... It's interesting because that's all fat, but when you cure it and you put all those uh, seasonings into it, you get all the flavor into the fat as well. And if you slice it paper thin like that, then I imagine when you're um, when you're eating it, it's not too much. So it must be pretty pretty great. Um, that's that's one of those things almost like uh, like bone marrow, which is kind of something that's just so decadent. Fat is probably the best part of the animal, but. We have textural issues uh, as, you know, humans. Right. And, I mean, you know, I like my food crispy. Uh, that's why I always cook my bacon super crispy. Um, in France, they have uh, they have something called lardsay. I Really bad pronunciation of that. I am positive. <laughs> you've, you've clearly boned up on your foreign pronunciations tonight. Well, I think I got close to the German and the Italian ones, but I France is not uh, something I'm too familiar with. Uh, anyway, just to tell you what it is, it's a cured slab of pig belly uh, with or without streaks of lean meat in it, used mainly for cooking and particularly for a bistro dish that's really popular, which is salt pork with lentils. Um, so that's one of those things where if you just go down the street in uh, some city in France, you're going to find that on the menu like everywhere. And uh, so, you know, cured cured pork belly. Look, I'm behind most all of these recipes. Yeah. Just to be clear. They all sound freaking delicious. And for the record, I'm still drinking a little bit when I say when, every that, time you say pig. that word. <laughs> uh, in Hungary, um, a lot of butcher shops sell these big slabs of bacon that are already cooked and ready to eat. Um, for a snack so you could just go to butcher shops and just eat bacon uh, they already have it ready for you just pay them a couple bucks and, and eat it up um, they have garlic bacon which is kind of specific to Hungary and something that I have had here before but not under these terms right uh, which is soaked in a garlic saline solution for five days then dry cured in salt then coated with beef blood and paprika and then heavily smoked so <laughs> what you're doing is sort of uh, caramelizing things at the very end. Um, and like the beef blood probably makes it taste super rich and beefy. And you've got it soaking in garlic for five days. So you know what that's right. going to do to it. Um, and you have it dry cured in salt. And then covered in that good-ass Hungarian sweet paprika. Hungarian sweet paprika, yeah. So that's probably one of the best things ever. If I get a chance to try uh, their garlic bacon over there, I am going to jump on that. That sounds good. I wonder if there'll be garlic bacon at Bacon Fest. Perhaps. And, you know, it makes me wonder why we don't do things like that more often just because, uh, like, 
you know, we both like things that have a lot of garlic in them. Yeah. And we both like bacon. But we've, I don't think, ever really tried to put those two together specifically. Well, we need to make, like, a buttery, garlicky, delicious bacon that's golden brown and delicious. <laughs> Probably, it can't be that hard. <laughs> uh, now we get to some things that are a little crazier. So, China. China has this um, this dish called lop yuck. Uh, it's air cured with soy sauce, brown sugar, and spices for 7 to 10 days until it's really hard. Um, or it's cured for four days and then smoked for about five hours. So what I hear about this particular kind of bacon, uh, and similar to the Japanese one too, uh, is is that they are not generally as crispy. They they eat them a little bit more. Um, uh, I, I don't know the word. Uh, I guess sort of chewy is is the consistency they like them in. Okay. But the fact that they're making this with soy sauce and brown sugar and spices probably has a really interesting taste to it. For example, I mean, you do something sort of like that, right? Well, the candied bacon, um, it has rice vinegar in it uh, with some syrup and brown sugar. Well, tell us tell us your recipe. Tell us how you make candied bacon, just very, very generally. Okay, well, I'll get a bunch of thick-cut bacon from the butcher. Don't buy the stuff in a package. And just so you guys know, this, this stuff gets rave reviews, so... Write that down. Yeah, I get all <laughs> kinds of requests to make this, uh, you know, for holidays, things like that. Anyways, uh, get good bacon from the butcher. Don't get it in a package because it's going to be a lot slimier out of the package. Uh, you want it to be nice and dry because it's going to, you know, it'll glisten up with its own fats when it starts rendering. Uh, so you lay the bacon out on a rack and cook it for about 10 minutes, flip it, cook it for another five. When you're done with that, you uh, pour, you you know, brush all of the uh, the glaze on. Mm-hmm. And the glaze is basically like a quarter cup of brown sugar, um, two tablespoons of, or four tablespoons of uh, syrup, two tablespoons of rice vinegar, some black pepper, and you just mix all that up. Uh, I'll post a recipe for this on the website, and I'll take pictures, which means I have to make some of it, which sounds good to me. Uh, anyways, you baste both sides of the bacon, and then you just continue basting uh, like flip it and then base the next base that side that was down. Uh, put it back in for five ten minutes. Really more like I, I do six minutes. Okay, uh, six minutes. Flip it, baste it. Six minutes. Repeat until you're out of all the glaze. Once you're out of the glaze, just leave it in to finish cooking. Usually about another fifteen minutes or so because you want it to sort of crisp up. And then you have to let it sit. You you have to let it kind of sit and let everything set. Mm. Uh, so it has to sit there for about 20 minutes at least. Um, but you don't want to let it sit too long because you need to be able to pluck it off of the rack. It's very delicate. And I think the only way to do this is on a rack. I'm pretty sure that you would get a sticky, gooey mess if you did it uh, on top of something else. And remember to use like parchment paper on your pan because otherwise your pan will be destroyed forever. So that is uh, candied bacon. I will post a recipe on our website for it because that stuff is friggin' awesome. It's actually kind of a slightly modified version of, I think, the All Recipes one that I had found way back. Um, but it's, you know, worked very well for me. Well, I, I'm glad to hear you giving credit. However, I think you've made it your own, so you're allowed to call it your recipe. It's whatever it is that's yours now. Right. Inspired by. Yeah, you don't even have to do that, man. I mean, nobody okay. else does. <laughs> Um, and I think we might have a couple other bacon-related recipes to post up there, too. So if you guys are looking for a couple, you know, stay tuned. In this next week, we'll post some. So just finishing up uh, Japan. In Japan, they have a, a bacon that they, they pronounce uh, 
Well, I, I I know how it's spelled. They they don't pronounce it like this, but no. Dave pronounces it. It's B E I K O N. So I'm gonna go ahead and say Beacon. Bacon. 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 It is cured and smoked belly meat, just like the U.S. But it's usually a little bit shorter, not as long of a piece. And there are also um, some other kinds of bacon that they make from shoulder and loin. Um, again, like I said about the Chinese version, they, theirs tends to be a little bit more chewy and they tend to have it like already pre-cooked and, and sort of pre-prepared mm-hmm. so that you can just take it and munch on it. Um, not in very many other places in the world do they have bacon that they sell just raw. Uh, and yes, I understand it's, it's cured in some way, uh, dry brine or wet brine, but like they don't usually sell things like we have in the store everywhere. In other countries... That kind of thing is not necessarily available. And that's kind of interesting to me. Are you are you aware of that? Well, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the tastes and the styles. Um, but it's also the fact that, you know, the market now demands that uh, we buy all the bacon because we will buy all the bacon. So they're going to sell it all here. They're going to save it and, you know, make more money on it here in America. You know. Absolutely. I'm sure if... Uh, and it's not like the... Pork belly goes unused in other parts of the world. No, not at all. You know, maybe it'll become more popular as it, like, as everything sort of does, it becomes like an internet cult phenomenon. Like, it winds up everywhere. Well, yeah, but you also have to remember that that here in the U.S., even though we are kind of an influential country, we've only been here for a short amount of time. And so the stuff that we do, those other cultures out there, a lot of them anyway... Um, Dave, the internet is the new world, and we've been there longer than anyone else. Yes, that's sort of true. <laughs> but but you know what I'm saying. So, I mean, these countries that, that have had this kind of uh, of regional foods for a really long time, they're still going to have them. They're well, not of course, to... it's not going away. No, so, so there's a lot of uh, interesting uh, like uh, disparity in the way that people treat bacon from uh, here to other countries in the world. And granted, a lot of people know now... Um, you know, that live wherever, uh, the way that the U.S. prepares bacon. And sometimes right. a lot of that has sort of gone into their culture as well. And I think that the and converse the way that is Fast and the Furious has, You're going to see a lot of the, um, <laughs> like, restaurants that want to be more trendy and stuff like that taking some of these, uh, you know, other dishes that are from other countries. Like, you may find Hungarian bacon in a, like, you know, two Michelin star restaurant. Well, just like we like were talking done about, really well. just like we were talking about earlier, you've got that stuff like bacon and lobster that is sort of a poorer food that turns itself over, uh, you know, turns the tables on itself and then becomes something that uh, is present for a lot of the white tablecloth dinners. Right. And I think what you're saying is uh, you have all of these things that we're not familiar with as a culture. And now as we're kind of becoming more of a foodie culture, we're going to start uh, assimilating uh, outside ethnic and alternative dishes to our own. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot more pork belly and stuff like that. And I know that that's mostly Asian and not necessarily what uh, has always been eaten around here. Well... I mean, it is and it isn't, right? Because, you know, the, the, that's where the bacon comes from is the pork belly, of course. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, so that's a lot of Korean um, and some other cultures that that are part of our culture, too, now. You know, I heck, down the street from me, there's probably like uh, two or three um, Korean barbecue places. And pork belly is a, is a huge is a huge thing in, in those kinds of places. Yes, we'll go there and get some pork belly. And because of that, now you can find it in like uh, some really nice American barbecue or new American. I saw it in the grocery store. Oh sure, 
Like it was at Trader Joe's, like in the frozen foods aisle. That's the direction we're headed in, and I, for one, uh, support that direction. <laughs> uh, so here's five for interesting. One, welcome our new bacon overlords. Exactly. <laughs> I've welcomed them from the beginning. Um, five interesting facts about bacon I thought that people might dig. So, number one, bacon explosion. Are you familiar with bacon explosion? Um, it, like a literal explosion of bacon? <laughs> well, sort of. Uh, spectacular. So you're, you're not familiar with it exactly? Yes, I've been aware that it's become incredibly popular lately. Okay. So this particular dish, no, it's it's a recipe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so it, it came about, it was popular like in 2008. You'll know immediately what it is. Yeah, okay. It, it went viral on the internet, and it basically it's made of bacon, sausage, barbecue sauce, and barbecue seasoning or rub. And it's assembled, the bacon's assembled in a weave to then hold the sausage and the sauce and the crumbled bacon. And then once you roll it up, it's cooked and basted and cut and served. And we made it a couple times uh, last year or the year before on the grill. Yeah. And let me tell you, it's amazing. It's rich. It's decadent. It's full of flavors. It's juicy. It's crispy. It's all the things that you would want it to be. Um, it was fun to make. I think we called it a bacon roll. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, it was like a steak wrapped in a bacon weave with, like, bacon and onions thrown on the inside and all kinds of seasonings in there. Well, that's our own dish. That's how we did it. Uh, but it's yeah. not the same as this. This sounds a lot uh, crazier, and it's more of a ground meat thing, uh, and it's like a crazy-ass meatloaf. But, yeah, yeah we're, we're going to have to make one of those at some point. So <laughs> I basically am going to make one of everything tonight over the next, like, year, and then we'll update at the end of it. Yeah. Uh. As Aaron says in the chat room, he makes a bacon explosion for every birthday and holiday. And I think that's a tradition I can get behind. I'm just saying. It sounds terrific to now, me. Now, I want to know, does he celebrate like Arbor Day <laughs> <laughs> and all the little minor ones? It's Martin Luther King Day, guys. Time for a bacon explosion. Cook up the bacon. Uh, one of the points I wanted to make about that was it's actually one of the most popular dishes in the world uh, on the internet right now. So... The bacon explosion is? Yeah, exactly. Oh, way to go, world. Uh, bacon is addictive, not just because of how good it is, but it also contains large amounts of glutamate, which is actually something that produces um, uh, like stimulation in the receptors in the brain. And I know that a couple of years ago, for example, a bunch of like food TV channels and stuff started talking about umami. And umami is such a weird thing to me. Apparently, they discovered... Uh, in no uncertain terms, that there are certain foods that activate certain receptors in the brain that are specifically for like this savory, like really good feeling, like deep inside. It means literally the translation is pleasant, savory taste. Yeah, and, and bacon does that, and it's one of the higher, uh, well, pork specifically contains a whole lot of that. Um, a lot of people are familiar with uh, MSG, for example, which makes food taste really good. Uh, but a lot of people thought that MSG was doing bad things to people. Um, whether that be because they formed it into this uh, um, compound or because they just thought that the chemical that we're talking about by itself is damaging, I don't know. But the majority of the medical profession has sort of given it a clear. So, Well, I mean, it, it was given a proper scientific term, um, you know, or recognized as a scientific term in 1985. So it is newer, but it is a real thing. 
Yeah, but it's becoming viral, I guess, in the last couple of years. Um, so other foods that have this kind of effect that just make you feel really good um, and make you feel like uh, you're eating something that's just deep down delicious are things like beef, uh, potatoes, Parmesan cheese, which actually contains so much of this stuff. Um, and it's funny because you don't like generally bite into like a giant hunk of Parmesan cheese like you would a hamburger or a, a tenderloin sandwich or a giant piece of bacon. But uh, Parmesan, just a little bit on top of a dish, can suddenly make it that much better. And this is part of the reason why. Because it kind of, it stimulates those other receptors in the brain in addition to whatever else was already being stimulated by the dish you're eating. Right. It's just like adding a little bit of salt to something that has no salt to it. Suddenly you're bringing out flavor. Yeah, so, so it's funny, you know, science, when you bring it into uh, the conversation of food and, and cooking and, and how you eat things and how you enjoy them and consume them, uh, it almost feels like it takes a little bit of the fun out of it, you know, but... <laughs> I love the science of cooking. It makes me enjoy it more because I know what's happening. I can think about it. Well, that's the other thing. Then if you're on the other side, if you're the chef, then you're almost sort of putting together beakers of different solutions, mixing them together, and creating this uh, this experiment. I mean, there is one man to thank for that, for me, and that is Elton Brown, to make me think of food as science. Uh, sure, yeah. Elton Brown has been a great influence on, I think, uh, a lot of people in the last uh, 10, 15 years. Yeah. And uh, he's just kind of a wacky personality, in addition to, to being really knowledgeable. I mean... How many how many people out there watched Good Eats? You have to have seen a couple episodes anyway. I made a concerted effort to watch every single one of them at one point, and I don't know if I succeeded, but um, I you know I still will go and find a recipe of his and make it just on the name alone. Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm enjoying this guy Aaron's comments. He says, uh, "Before Elton came and science took over, all we had was the magic of Emerald." Bam. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, a, a bacon sandwich really does cure a hangover. And, and again, we're looking Fact. at science here because bread is high in carbs and bacon is full of protein, which break down into amino acids. And the amino acids make you feel good and sort of counteract the effects that we're having, uh, that alcohol was having on you. Uh, and so, binging on alcohol depletes neurotransmitters, but the bacon tops off the neurotransmitters okay so basically how nice of it if you're hungover, what you really need is a giant plate of bacon that's helped me many times when i've been hungover. <laughs> um researchers that i was um reading about in this article um they actually found this strange and complex chemical interaction in the cooking of bacon um as all of us know taste and smell are sort of uh intertwined together right like for example when they when they tell you how to taste wine glasses well not glasses but <laughs> <laughs> i've never tasted a wine glass uh <laughs> no when they tell you how to taste wine they tell you sort of to to open up your mouth a little bit and put your top lip over the uh, bottom part of the glass and then tip your face down into it so that you have both um your mouth open and you're inhaling the wine as well as uh, the sense of the wine coming through your nose at the same time. And that's how professional tasters taste because um, you get a little bit from, from both. And things that smell good generally taste good. Things that smell bad generally taste bad. They're, you know what smells really good is this general resin. Yes, it does. Holy crap. 
It's, it's super smooth. It's a pretty amazing. I beer. expect it to be surprisingly high in alcohol. Nine point two percent. Yeah, that, that qualifies. So that's a recommendation from Drink Five, General Resin Imperial IPA. Um, as I was saying, basically, uh, tasting and smelling are totally linked together. Right. And that's part of the reason why bacon is so good because it smells more viscerally good than anything, almost anything else you can cook. Oh, man. Yeah, you're right. We used to torture my vegan roommate with the smell of bacon. That's mean, Jay. Oh, no. It was delicious because we got to eat bacon when we were done. (laughs) You know, they've done scientific experiments to prove that even those people that are vegan or vegetarian or have never even had meat in their lives Uh at any point are still attracted just inherently to the smell of cooking meats, especially bacon. Who could, like, walk past a grill that is cooking meat and not go, ooh. I don't know. I don't think I ever have walked past a grill and not done that. I mean, I've met people that say they don't like bacon. I just don't believe them. Yeah. (laughs) I've never met anyone who says they don't like bacon. They just say they don't eat it. Well, I mean, you could could be allergic. Like, we have friends that are allergic to citrus. I've had uh, someone who is allergic to, like, tap water, which is, that sounds like the worst allergy ever, by the way. Maybe that sounds made up. That sounds like being allergic to electricity. I I don't know, <laughs> but but for those people that uh, that that might uh, stay on after this podcast, if you're listening live, we are talking about Better Call Saul right now. So we'll get into the latest episode. Um, and if you're not listening live, then just go back to one and and start it with us. There you go. Um, bacon A's. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I am familiar. So it's vegetarian, like the original brand. Surprising, and most of the brands that that they create has no bacon in it, has no meat in it. This stuff's really gross. Well, <laughs> I I happen to have started to get to like mayonnaise a little bit, just because you just put a okay. little tiny bit. Um, you know those people that put like triple mayo on a sandwich. I agree with you. I can't handle that. Okay, but it's one of those things. Um, I like the idea of bacon. It's an acquired taste. If you're gonna have mayonnaise, you might as well have bacon in it, right? I guess fake bacon. <laughs> Clearly, it's not real bacon. Well, the point is, when they created it, they bacon. they made it seem just like bacon. And for those of you who have had baconase, which I don't think is Jason, um, <laughs> so not an expert on this particular subject. <laughs> baconase. It looks disgusting. Well, in, anyway, it does taste like there's bacon in it, and there's not. Which is crazy. Seventy uh, percent. Can't believe it's not bacon. Seventy percent of bacon in the United States is eaten at breakfast time. So that seems reasonable to you, right? Seventy percent of the bacon in the United States was eaten at breakfast time. Correct. Wow, that's a lot of bacon. But here's the really cool thing, and and this sort of uh, goes above and beyond, you know what what we have been talking about. But I'm really interested in this. So Sigmund Freud's nephew, this guy, Mister Edward Bernays. Okay. Um, it's no surprise, right, that he's he's good at psychology. Of course. It runs in the family. So he worked for several companies, uh, all of which did advertising and uh, product management and those kinds of things. And he did a whole lot of things. So this guy, he was the guy that, one, uh, promoted Dixie Cups. At the time in America, um, oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, in the time in America when, when, when everybody bought Dixie Cups. He was the reason why... Everyone bought Dixie Cups? Because he launched like this campaign that was trying to tell people that you know things that they leave out are not, uh, are not going to be... Um, like clean? Yeah, exactly. 
So you must use disposable everything. Yes, exactly. Oh man! But he he literally made people, and this is Dixie cups until I think a couple of years ago were in like every bathroom. I remember even in the eighties and nineties, like when I would go to a, a bathroom in someone's house or at a restaurant or whatever, there would be like this little Dixie cup dispenser machine. Yeah, I mean for a long time. This guy also created the... Some people just won't drink out of bathroom sinks. True. <laughs> uh, he also had a campaign to to make it okay to the American public that people were um, being fluoridated uh, in the water. Right. It's the fluoridation of the water. Oh, I wish I knew you were going to say that. I would have had the clip ready. <laughs> he also started the pancake breakfasts that, that the... Uh, 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 presidents of the United States now enjoy oh, well, with You may think that this or... man is crazy, but really he's a hero. Uh, I'm telling you. Well, the point is he was able to like make people do things and continue to do them. He somehow started traditions. He's amazing. So here's what he did. Beach Nut Packing Company, uh, which is a company that manufactured everything from pork products to bubble gum back uh, in, I'm sure it was probably like the 30s, 40s, 50s, something like that. Um, 50s, I would imagine. It basically ran an ad campaign that convinced the American public that a heavier breakfast, specifically bacon and eggs, would be preferable to what they're currently eating, which used to be like oatmeal, toast, eggs. Okay. But they wouldn't have like meat. You know what I mean? So he's like bacon. He launched bacon in the American public's mind of breakfast. Nice. And and he he had a study created uh, from all of his like medical buddies that basically said... um, it's it's no problem to eat bacon in the morning. In fact, it's actually helpful and and healthy for you. <laughs> All right. And he's not completely wrong, but of course there you know you can't just have bacon every morning. They That's, were the same doctors that went to a different ad agency and told people that they recommended smoking cigarettes. It was Doctor Gupta's son, <laughs> Doctor Gupta. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean any uh, bad things to anyone. But what I'm saying is, uh, it's amazing that that this guy, this nephew of Sigmund Freud affected America so much. He was obviously a time traveler. He was the Don Draper of his time. <laughs> I don't know if he was off like banging all the chicks and stuff, but he was certainly a brilliant advertising man. So you think perhaps uh, on AMC in a couple of years we could get like the, the Edward Bernays story? Maybe, because Mad Men is wrapping up. Yeah. So I thought that was an amazing fact that actually it, it wasn't really a breakfast food at all, and now it's predominantly one. Uh, and I, you know, that's wonderful. I mean, sure. we of course came along well after this was well established. So it seems natural to me that like, of course I would want to eat it at breakfast, but I also want to eat it with dinner and with lunch. Yes. So do I. Yeah. And so, uh, we talked a little bit about candied bacon. Uh, some of the favorite bacon dishes that, that we have, uh, how about besides candied bacon? I'll, I'll put one out there. Okay. Just the standard uh, one of my favorites is just the bacon wrapped uh, jalapeno stuff with cheese. Yes, and I good. I do tend to like I think the cheddar cheese or different kinds of sharper cheeses rather than the cream cheese uh, inside of them. I really like doing a mix of that now. Yeah, that's not bad. I, and, and you got to put like some seasonings and stuff into it in addition to yeah. the regular cheese mm-hmm. and jalapeno. Yeah, but you can really make those excellent. And you got to use thin bacon on those. You use thick bacon; it'll take too long to cook. Yeah, that's and it won't get. Uh, that's crispy. the pro tip there. So you have to use really thin bacon, uh, and you have to use a moderately high heat, um, and you're good. Yeah, uh, cut them in half, and uh, like you have a special tool for jalapenos where you can just uh, 
gut the seeds really easily. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's it's sort of a core. Um, it's you, a multi. It's a unitasker. Shame <laughs> on you. You can find it anywhere. I mean, you have a jalapeno. You cut off the top, stick this thing in like a corkscrew, and then it wraps around all of the uh, all of the membrane and, and everything in there, and takes it all out in once, which is fantastic. Um, I also like bacon cinnamon rolls, although I don't have them very often. Um, but Ooh. Of, of course, I mean, it seems like a natural pairing because the cinnamon roll is naturally sort of winding. Um, so there's a piece of bacon wrapped inside of it? Correct. You cook it before you wrap it? You Well, like a lot of these dishes that involved uh, bacon, you you usually have to like par bake it so it's At almost least, done yeah, yeah. but then you can like still curve it yeah yeah so then you can wrap it around something or you can put it in something or in this case uh you are like par cooking it till it's almost ready and then wrapping it wrapping the cinnamon roll rather i guess kind of around it sounds pretty sweet yeah <laughs> it's very like labor intensive but probably worth it in the end yeah, I mean, if you were making them uh, from scratch, um, it would take you quite a while, probably. Yeah. Uh, I really like the bacon wrap dates. Uh, so you get some pitted dates and you stuff it with like goat cheese or manchego, right? And uh, yeah, manchego wrap it Spain. in a mm-hmm. little half piece of bacon and cook them in the oven just until the bacon is crispy. Uh, those make an excellent appetizer. They're super sweet, um, like sweet tasting. Uh and, you know, the great thing is, is that uh, if you have a family of timid eaters, right, uh, they're not always going to want to try your, like, tapas-style appetizer you bring to Thanksgiving, uh, which just leaves more for the smart people. I don't know how to deal with, with people that won't try something, because I used to be that same way, and I know that I was probably unshakable at the time. Exactly. You know that, like, nothing's going to happen until you actually try the food. That's the only way to convince somebody to do it. So it's more like just changing the person from having a closed mind to an open mind right. than it is uh, saying, oh, this is going to be so good, you just don't even know it. Because, yeah, he's like, I don't know it, and I don't care about it. Yeah, I started cooking a few things that I traditionally didn't like or didn't want to eat, uh, and then I liked those things, and I was like, ah, oh, wonder what else there is that I would like that I haven't tried yet. Well, that was my kind of changed lifestyle. Uh, I, I used to eat, you know, hot dogs with just ketchup or uh, burgers with, with just cheese um, or chicken breast plain. I didn't like onions. I didn't like peppers. Onions are amazing now. You know, now I eat everything, but I did the same thing. I mean, I didn't like salads. I didn't like Caesar dressing. I didn't like anything. And once I make it myself and realize what goes into it and that, like, I like all of those things. Yeah. And then I'm like, basically, you know, I was just telling myself, fooling myself into thinking that I didn't like this thing for some reason. That's true. Whether it be because a friend or a parent or a sibling uh, also you, didn't like it. or right. If you try something a few times and you don't like it, I suppose that's a different story. Maybe, but I think making something, even if you think you don't like it, still changes it a little bit because then you know what's in it. Now, you could break it down yeah. to... In, you may it, only like it when you make it. Well, maybe there's an individual component that you don't like, for example. Could be. So, I mean, I'm not saying everyone should like everything, but I'm saying people should like most things. Everything is awesome. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, uh, one last thing I wanted to mention. Uh, one of my favorites is this this big recipe that went around the internet recently. And it's very simple. It's just you put the bacon down in like a, a cupcake or muffin tray, and then you put egg on top of that. Uh, season it up 
put some cheese in or whatever, and you bake them in the oven and you have these bacon cups. But what actually works out a lot better is if you put um, like carve out like little circles of bread and then you put a little butter on the bread and put that down in the cupcake tray and then you put the bacon and egg on top of it. Uh, so you use bread as a base. Yeah. But you cut the bread to be the size of the thing? Well, just take like a, just a regular glass that you have, um, you know, like a little glass, the bottom of a glass. Okay. Uh, and then just put it on the bread and you cut out little circles. Okay. And then you put the circles down with a little bit of butter on them, put cheese on top of that, and then bacon and egg on top of that. And like I said earlier, if you want really, really good stuff, um, and you, you actually mentioned it first, you have to use the thin bacon for a lot of these preps. Because if you use a thick bacon, it's not going to cook all the way through. So if you're looking for crispy, it has to be thin. I think in all of our refrigerators, we should probably always have like a thicker and a thinner bacon. Uh, because you never know exactly what you're gonna. That's a smart idea. Be doing, and you can't make a thick bacon thin, unless you have, uh, <laughs> unless you have like the best slicer I've ever seen. In the my greatest life. knife ever. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, do you have any other dishes to add? Uh, you know, I really like bacon as an add-on to a lot of things. You know, on a baked potato or on. Uh, burger on pizza something like that well you you want to put it on uh on like a comfort food oh yeah yeah i mean i'll add bacon to anything once well like we talked about earlier so bacon is a specific food that kind of opens up these special receptors that make uh you feel good so putting that on top of a dish that either has that already or even better doesn't have that makes that dish better which is why uh, say you're putting it on uh, on chicken or something, and chicken probably doesn't have a lot of this particular chemical. I would have to look it up. Um, but say you're putting it on something that doesn't have that receptor active. Uh-huh. Even if that's delicious, it will never be as delicious as that with bacon on top of it will be. That's true. Bacon just makes everything better. Well, if we make it scientific, we can say that putting bacon on something will always make it better uh, unless those two flavors just clash. Um, let's see. Someone's saying they learned to love sweet and savory because of cheese stuffed bacon wrapped dates. Oh, very good. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, um, you know, that's an explosion. It's very strong in both directions there. That's kind of a gateway food, I think, you know. Uh, it's, it's very common in tapas places. And uh, I think I've brought personally a couple people to tapas places that had never been there. Uh-huh. And uh, they kind of freaked out because you, you're having like uh, goat cheese and tomatoes. Um, you're having bacon-wrapped dates. You're having like, um, you're just having these flavors together that you've never had. Right. And and it makes people freak out, I think. <laughs> you know? But in a good way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Like we were talking about earlier, you got all these different kinds of, of pork dishes because we're talking about that specifically tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, different places in the world that we have not tried. But I guarantee you if we tried it and you know we had an open mind about it, then we would probably get the reason why they eat it. I'm sure we would. You know, if you try the best version, you know, or at least a really good version of most things, you're going to be like, oh, okay, this is how it's supposed to be done. I get this. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, talking about bacon and and its popularity in, um, the United States and across the world, um, the amount of things that have happened with it, it's actually turned into more than just a food. It's, it's sort of this, um, 
like a celebrity. You know, it's almost like a celebrity, like a Tom Cruise. Like there's T-shirts with just bacon on them. There's uh, bacon vodkas and, and bacon toothpaste. Uh, we talked about bacon A's. There's also real bacon A's, by the way, that they do put bacon in. I All right. I wish I had jumped on that faster. As soon as the, the fake bacon A's came out, the fake A's, I should have been the one to be like, oh, I'll just put real bacon in it. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, it was Hellman's. Fooled again. Foiled again by Hellman's. Hellman's. <laughs> uh, bacon popcorn. Bacon mints. Uh, bacon band-aids. Have you seen those? Just like looks like a piece of bacon. Yeah. <laughs> Scratch and sniff. Bacon scarves, bacon soap, bacon chewing gum, uh, bacon colognes, bacon uh, deodorant. Bacon, bacon air freshener, probably. They actually make bacon condoms. It, okay. That are made out of bacon. That is the most They're ridiculous thing. They're made out of bacon. Yes. They're like cured bacon condoms. They're the wow. most ridiculous thing I've ever, ever heard of. Wow. But the point being... It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's on. It's on movies. It's it's in your house. It's on your shirts. Uh, I have in my wardrobe two shirts that that have bacon related things on them. Fantastic. That's excellent. And I want more. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'll be plenty available at Bacon Fest this year. Absolutely. Um, and and again, we're really looking forward to that. So so, what do you think? If if anything, we should we should leave people with tonight. Um. I think that you should uh, go out and go to your local grocery store. Hopefully they sell craft beer. Uh, I know that they're going to be selling bacon. (laughs) So I want you to pick up both of those things and go home tomorrow night and have a beer and have a little bit of bacon. And just think, ah, it's good to be in America. And if you're not in America, go and get whatever kind of awesome beer and bacon your country does and have that. And say, it's great to be in Hungary, or it's great to be in Canada. And everyone's going to fucking dig that. Right, true. And if you're, if you're uh, a, strict, um, uh, a strict Jewish person or Islamic person, then we apologize for having to listen through this entire show. If you are halal, then <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, uh, because you can't enjoy bacon. It will, it will always be uh, forbidden. Anyway, um, thanks to everybody who uh, participated on the show, and uh, thanks to people in the, in the chat room here. Remember to follow us at Drink5 on Twitter, and uh, subscribe to our show if you like it on iTunes and on Stitcher. Both are under Drink5 Network. And we never mind people giving us a buzz via email. Our addresses are Dave at Drink5.com and Jason at Drink5.com. And I am so hungry after this broadcast. I really want to have some bacon. So let's go get some bacon. For Jason, I'm Dave. Drink five.